0: Let us turn to the words of our Lord who has given us joy that never ends, John chapter 16, John 16, and let me begin reading at verse 16 down through verse 22. Hear God's word. A little while and you will no longer see me. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, so they were saying, What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And so he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And whenever a woman is in labor, she is pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child... She no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too, you have grief now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. You know, that last verse, I'm going to see you again, your heart's going to rejoice Nobody's going to be able to take it away from you. Your joy is going to be unending. Your joy is going to be irrevocable. That's pretty awesome if it were true. Is it true? Does Christ really give us joy that is unending and irrevocable? It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. What we have here... It's like a funeral sermon. It's Jesus preaching his own funeral message, realizing he's about to go away. He said, I'm I'm about to die. Y'all aren't going to see me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried in a tomb. But then he says, But then I will see you. So he gets not only to the grave, the graveside, but to his resurrection. And in the promise of that, he promises unending, irrevocable joy. We celebrate, our culture even celebrates this to a certain degree on Easter Sunday. We celebrate it every Sunday because he lives every week. He is risen indeed. It uh, brings us joy. Uh, today is not only Easter, today's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Patty. It's also, it's also Annette Hardy's birthday. There she is. So, But why I tell you that is because if it's Easter and if it's my wife's birthday, lunchtime is guaranteed pleasure, right? (laughs) There will be a quantity and quality of food I can count on. There will be a celebration. We will have joy. But will that joy be unending and irrevocable? And the answer is no. The pleasures we often seek, whether it's through food or drink or whatever, or through birth celebrations, it's temporal. It passes away quickly. It, it just doesn't last on and on and on. That's why I said this is a pretty awesome statement. When Jesus says, the joy I'm going to give you is unending. You will have it again and again and again and again. And it's irrevocable. Nobody's going to be able to snatch it away. No bad circumstances will pull it back. It's yours forever and forever and again. He goes on. And he gives this little analogy of childbirth. Uh, and it's a great one for what he's talking about here. He says, when a, when a woman bears a child, in that moment of bearing this, this newborn, that child is detached from the mother's body. One body is detached from another. And that, that process is painful and agonizing. And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to die and I'm going to be detached from you. You won't see me. But in that process of being detached from you, I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And you're going to forget that pain and agony, and you're going to have joy over and over and over again. It's resurrection joy. It's unending, irrevocable. Let's look at that a little bit. I want to unpack it straight more deeply for you. First of all, just this concept of unending joy. Um, Christ's pleasure in never, ever not seeing us again. Uh, Verse 16 said, a little while you will no longer see me. And again, a little while you will see me. So he says, that's what's happening to you. But you get down to verse 22, he says, I will see you doesn't say you will see me because see we could see Jesus if we saw Jesus dead in a coffin we wish we would be seeing him But, but that doesn't give us joy to see him if he's dead if he's in a coffin if he's in a tomb if he's in the grave he doesn't say that He says, the joy is going to be yours because I am going to see you. Which means, I will see you as the living one. I will be alive. My eyes will be focused on you. You'll see that. And as you see that, the significance will be in that I'm seeing you. And I want to be with you. And I want you to have my joy. Um, For us... Joy is often in things, money, success, toys, sports, uh, whatever you, you have found that gives you joy, think about it, Whatever it is, it, it doesn't last, does it? It's, it's temporal. It, it comes and it goes, and there's no guarantee that you will have it on and on and on. And yet, Jesus is promising us something completely different from that. And he promises it based on his resurrection. He said, I will see you again. And because of that, it will last. You remember that, you know, I got some cheesy titles here in your outline this morning. I don't usually do that, but you know, I thought it a you know, good time for cheese. By the way, I got an Easter basket of fudge. <laughs> Solid. Substantive through and through. Those of you who were here earlier when I talked about hollow Easter bunnies, you get it. Okay. But Jesus gives us a, a, a pleasure that's lasting. The, the the Aerosmith song, I don't want to fall asleep. Because if I fall asleep, I'll miss you, babe. And I don't want to miss a thing. It reminded me of Christ here saying, I'm not gonna fall asleep. I will never slumber or sleep. My desire is to focus on you and I do not and will not miss a thing. I will rise and I will be with you, looking at you, focused on you, that I might be your Savior and your risen Lord forever and ever. Joy in the Lord can be unending because Christ sees us. Now let's move on. Think about the second aspect of this. Because it's not only unending, it's irrevocable. Two things are required. Two things are required. It doesn't take rocket science to figure this out. Two things are required for us to have irrevocable joy. One is the source of joy must last. It must be eternal. The second thing is we've got to last. And Jesus fulfills both. Jesus is the source of joy. And through his resurrection, he conquers death and the grave for us so that we might last, promising us eternal life. He who believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. So the two things required for us to have irrevocable joy, Christ has supplied through his resurrection. His eternal ability to to grant it, and our now eternal living in Him. So this joy is a joy that's irrevocable. You don't find those qualities in these other things we seek many times for our joy. Um, many people have just settled for weak, insignificant, temporal joy when we... we we, we spend our days and our hours seeking pleasure in, in things. Some people spend all of their, their waking moments either disgruntled, grumbled, complaining, or, or pursuing pleasure in sex, which might give them pleasure for 10 minutes, maybe a little more. Or you pursue pleasure in food which gives you pleasure for 20, 30 minutes. Maybe if you learn to savor it, maybe an hour. Or we go to sports and say, you know, I want a sport that lasts like soccer or football or golf. It's hours of pleasure, if you're winning, of course. Because if you're not, then there's, that joy goes quickly. Or in shopping or in creating being artistic, whatever. We pursue things, and when you really stop and think about it, all of the joy we get from these things can be snatched away. And typically, it is snatched away rather quickly compared to eternity. Jesus is promising a joy that is irrevocable, that lasts for all eternity. Uh, look at John 14. Verse 18 and 19. Here Jesus says. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while the world no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live. You will live also. Look at John 11. 25. 26. Jesus speaking to Martha, just before, again, before his death, right after Lazarus' death, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? He says, I'm offering you eternal living. And coming with that is unending, irrevocable joy. The joy that we as believers have, it's, it's, it's unbroken. And the illustration Jesus gives of that is, uh, he said, my death won't even break it. Neither death nor life, neither principalities or spiritual forces. Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from this loving union we have with Christ. And as a result of that, it gives us a joy that's unbelievably irrevocable. Uh, This is Christ's resurrection word to us. Now, I want to go a little bit further and ask a third question, and that is, why does that matter? to God. Why would it matter to God that we be happy? Why does God care to give us eternal unbroken joy? You don't give him anything back for it. So why is he promising this? Why is this such a big deal to him? Why does he say so much about it? And here's the answer. The answer is because our God is a happy God. Our God enjoys pleasure. Our God enjoys being happy. And he enjoys sharing with us this happiness of his, this pleasure Let me show it to you. Look at Genesis chapter 1. These are things you know, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and begin to to see the joy of the Lord. Genesis 1, verse 10. It says... God called the dry land earth. Now, what's going on there, if you go back to verse 9, it says, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, let the dry land appear. So we've got this big, um, just watery glob. And God separates waters and land appears. And he called the, the waters water, he called the seas. And God saw that it was good, he called the dry land land, earth, and he saw that it was good. And then again, this kind of thing is said again after he creates us, man, male and female in his image. Look at verse 31. God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I mean, this is our first behold. This is, this is our first, hey, y'all, look at this. What's going on here is, is not um, a statement of insight. It's not a statement of knowledge. God didn't learn anything at this point. He's omniscient. He knows it all. This is a statement of experience. He's not saying, wow, I couldn't believe that you know, I, you know, I made something that was so good. This, this is really good. He's not, he's not gaining insight. He's just sharing experience with us. It's kind of like some of you here are, are brewers. You, you brew beer, or you, you make wine, or some of you do a little shine. We won't tell anybody, okay? But after you've made your batch of whatever it is, those of you who've had that experience or been with somebody who is bringing you into that experience, they say, we're, we're about to uncork our first bottle or our first brew, and you get a little sample. And if you've done it right, if it is the perfect batch, which is what you're hoping for, you take that little sip, you put it back, and what do you do? You say, oh, that is good. That is really good. And all you're sharing is an experience. Experience. And and we do that with so many other things, whether it be a meal, whether it be food, whether it be drink, whether it's an artistic design, whatever it is we do, we have these experiences sometimes. Yeah, I have it on occasions about once out of 80 golf swings. You know, I'll hit the perfect shot. It's sweet, it goes right where I want it, and it goes long. And when that happens, I say, It just doesn't get any better. It's good. It's an experience. I wish I could figure out how to recreate it and make it never end. But I can't create unending, irrevocable joy. And you can't either. God can. And he began in Genesis 1 creating things and experiencing the pleasure that his creation would, would bring. In the beginning was joy. And the joy was with God. And the joy was in God. And the joy flows out of God. To his creation. And I want you to begin to see uh, the happiness and joy of God. Because the chief end of man is what? The enjoyment of God. The blessing of his name forever. And sometimes we don't see how this is so consumed, God, that he's created you and me. And his desire not only to create us, but then to recreate us in Christ Jesus. And when he recreates us, the great joy that it brings him. Um, You remember Luke 15, the three stories there? story of the lost sheep the lost coin and the lost son prodigal son and there're three stories about what about joy there's three stories that were in the context of people grumbling and complaining and missing life and God gives them three stories about joy and he says when the when the sheep is found there's Joy, there's rejoicing. When the coin is found, there's joy, there's rejoicing. When the sun is found, there's joy, there's rejoicing. And it's not temple joy. He says heaven explodes with joy. The angels shout for joy because a sinner is now saved. Regret's been replaced with repentance. Sadness is replaced with celebration. Celebration. He says, I want you to get the fact that I get excited about seeing sinners saved. I get excited about taking someone out of their darkness and gloom and bringing them to a place of unbelievable light and satisfaction. He says, all of heaven sees it, and all of heaven rejoices at it. Our God has planned for our joy. When it was lost by us, he plans to recreate us in him and restore that joy that we had lost. Well, look at Luke 10, another passage after this. Luke 10, 17, uh, and following. Luke ten. I want to take you on a quick little path of joy. Luke 10, beginning at verse. 17, the 70 that he had sent out to preach. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching. Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. I mean, if you're going to rejoice... Begin to understand what you should rejoice in so it becomes more significant. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Re- you know, again, he's, as he's already said in John, he says, Rejoice that I didn't leave you as orphans. Rejoice that you're sons of God. Rejoice that you've been chosen. Rejoice that you've been brought into the family of God. Rejoice that your names are on the Lamb's book of life, that you get to enter into this family relationship with me. That's what you should rejoice in. And then notice where it goes, don't stop yet. Verse 21, at that very time, who rejoiced? Catch it. He rejoiced. We're speaking about Jesus now. At that very time, he rejoiced, not just a little bit, greatly, how? In the Holy Spirit, and he said, I praise you, O Father. So this is a Trinitarian experience. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all in the passage. I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to, and he refers to his 70 disciples here, to these infants. I mean, they're just now getting born into the kingdom of God. And they've not yet begun to realize the significance of that. Verse 22 says, All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Jesus is is, is caught up in this experience. Disciples are coming back. They're pretty pumped. We've got power and authority. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're still in this world of success and winning and your own power and your own pleasures. And that is so temporal. I want to move you from that world into a world that has been freed from the curse. That you're no longer under sin. You're no longer under this temporal bondage. I want to move you into picturing heaven and your name at the place setting. You are one of the few around the table. Your name is there. I want to take you to that place. And then you will find joy unending, and irrevocable. And then it says... He, as Jesus starts thinking about this, he literally gets giddy. This literal Greek there is he begins to leap for joy. He is getting happy and excited because he is seeing what's happening. He is saying, God, this is so cool. This is awesome. What we planned is occurring these people are our children. They are entering into our kingdom. They will sit at our table, and we are going to be so incredibly happy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will be enjoying our family forever and ever and ever. And, and we've grown up with this, this view of God that He's always angry and mad, and He's, he's just condemning And I've never seen, most of you know I'm against all these Bible movies that come out. They always want to focus on the pain and the crucifixion or the scourging. Not one scourging is ever described in the Bible. Not one. It just tells us Jesus was scourged. The focus is not on his scourging, the focus is on his joy. He's so excited, he's so happy. And no movie has ever given us such a view of Christ and of God the Father and of God the Holy Spirit rejoicing in choosing us, in owning us, in including us into his wonderful family and providing for us there unending, irrevocable joy. Cool stuff. Cool. It's awesome. Even Jesus says so. You know, he's pretty excited about it himself. I want to see, let me take you on a quick path of joy. Jesus saying this over and over and over, and I'm just going to share a few. Look at John 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11, talking to us about how we need to really stay abiding in him. Verse 11, he says, These things. He said, I spoke them to you so that what? My joy may be in you. And so that your joy, not a little joy, so that your joy will be made complete. May be full. All the way to the brim and running over is the joy he's describing there. Look at Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 13. Stay with me, I'm going to speed the car up a little bit, okay? Take this journey. Romans 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you, how? With all joy and peace in believing, so that you will, be, you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, one of the things I want to see happen through you trusting Jesus, through you believing, I want to see God fill your joy I want you to be happy I want you to be filled up with unending irrevocable happiness look at psalm 126 verse 5 psalm 126 verse 5 gives us a great analogy he who, gives, he who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. He says, he says yes, you have sadness for a time, but it's the joy of the harvest is going to overwhelm you. At some point, it's going to overcome you. And he's using this analogy, you plant something in the ground, and you think it's dead, and all of a sudden, pow! It bursts forth, and, and, and you, you're overcome, and you begin to rejoice. He says, that's the joy I want for you, and I want to give you in an irrevocable manner. Look at Psalm 16, one of my life psalms, Psalm 16, verse 11. says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is what? Not condemnation, for in Christ Jesus there's no more condemnation. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, excuse me, this hand, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's our God. It's the source of joy. In His presence is fullness, not small, full, complete, Unbelievable joy in his right hand, it never, ever, the work, the, the labors of God, that's the right hand analogy. At his right hand, everything he does is done to produce this pleasure, this fullness of joy that is found in his presence. Um, you remember the, the Christmas story. The angels come down, and what is their message? For behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. The angels got it. They knew it was a message of great joy. They knew it was a savior of great joy. They knew he was the source of great joy. They knew at his right hand there were pleasures forevermore. They knew he was there to recreate and bring us into his presence and promise us and grant us unending, irrevocable joy. And that has been the message over and over and over again. And it will be the message when we end this world because what will he say to us as we enter into heaven? He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into heaven. No, that's not what he said. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. He says, that's what I've been laboring for. That's what you should have been laboring for. That you might enter into unending, irrevocable joy. Now, let me take you to the Beatitudes. You know that passage. Look at Luke chapter 6. And I want to I take you here because so many times, beginning in verse, say, 19. Luke chapter 6. So many times we look at the Beatitudes in such little chunks that we miss the overwhelming message and experience that Christ is having as He delivers these words to His disciples. Look at it with me. Luke chapter 6, verse 19. It says, And all the people were trying to touch Him, for power was coming from Him and healing them all. And don't miss this. And turning... So you got... I don't know, hundreds or thousands of people and all of them that wanted to be healed, all of them that would rush up and touch him, all of those hundreds or thousands were being healed and turning, that's the key, key phrase that we, we miss, and turning his gaze towards his disciples. So at this point, he has stopped looking at the hundreds and the thousands and he turns and he looks at and addresses his chosen disciples of this huge group, he's looking at the genuine believers and began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad! Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's his point to his disciples. Don't miss that message of of focus on joy. He's looking... At at this multitude of people who are sick and weak and helpless and ill and in pain and agony. And he starts ministering to hundreds of thousands. And he's so into this experience that it's like divinity oozes from his his body. And people pick up on that and say, I just got to get close. I just got to touch. Because if I can just touch, I'm going to be healed from all my pain and weaknesses. And Jesus seeing this happening as as just hundreds of people are getting healed, he begins to think to himself, yes, this is cool. Everybody's saying this is so cool, this is so awesome. We've never seen anything like it. And he's thinking, yeah, all of that's true. But then he looks at his chosen people and he says, but it gets better. It goes to a much deeper, greater level to you, my disciples. If you think you're poor now you're going to be unbelievably rich. You think you're sick now, you're going to be unbelievably well. You think you are persecuted for my sake now, you don't even got a clue how much you are going to laugh and rejoice and you're going to leap and you're going to dance because of I have chosen you. You're mine. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the Beatitude section. Christ getting overwhelmed and how much he's gonna bless you and me. And and ho- hoping to give us a glimpse of that blessing and that happiness that is in his presence, that is at his right hand. See the joy of the Lord. Uh, leap for joy. John 16, it's unending. It's irrevocable. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, Jesus says, all that I have prepared for you. Your mind has never been blown like it's going to be blown when you die and rise and see Jesus. And it's not going to be one bit bad or painful, You will enter in to the joy of your master. Now, God is so much into joy and so much into giving it. Let me just conclude with this. Joy is not our problem. Joy is not a sin. Happiness is not a sin. Our problem is not that you don't seek joy. That you don't seek pleasure. That's not our problem. Our problem is this. That we seek joy and happiness too little. We seek joy and happiness too little. We seek it in weak and insignificant ways. We seek it from things that are temporal that don't last. And you can illustrate that with anything that is of this world. If you're seeking pleasure in food and sex and drink and toys and sports or accomplishments and success and winning and money, at any of those things, see, that's your problem. Your problem is you're, you're seeking joy in things that don't last, things that are weak, things that are insignificant, things that don't really matter that much. Our problem is we seek too little joy. We, we work all day long, all week long for ten minutes of pleasure. That's weak. That's sick. That does not seem to be like a life that matters very much. So how is it that, that we go into the playground of this world and seek such small joy when all of heaven is open to us? Jesus, I I came to give you a much greater, a much bigger, an unending, an irrevocable pleasure and happiness. And you still walk into the playground of the world and seek your pleasure from its things when it could be had in its fullness in me. Jesus' resurrection is about showing us the joy of the Lord, the pleasures at His hand forevermore. I hope you see it, because if you see it, you trust Jesus. If you see it, you trust Jesus. If you see it, you trust Jesus. If you you don't see it, this world, this life is all you have, and you are most to be pitied. Because you're, You're living a life that's weak, small, and it passes away. So trust Jesus that you might have unending, irrevocable joy. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for for the wrong purpose, for the wrong goal for the wrong pleasures may we live to bless your name to glorify you and to enjoy you forever let us if we're going to emulate you let us emulate you leaping for joy at our recreation at our gift of repentance granted by your grace at the gift of believing And having inexpressible pleasure. Father, for those who have missed it because the message has been hidden to them until today. Lord, draw them to yourself. Let them have eternal pleasures. May they begin to delight in you. And find great pleasure always in your presence. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.